over the fall, excuse me, the fall term from First Thessalonians, and uh, we will continue in that throne room that has been the uh, heart of our time together this morning. We will continue humbly and in worship to learn the things that God has has for us together throughout this this series. I've entitled the series "Hope." was a hope uh, described by the authors in, uh, in the book and throughout the book, and we learn a great deal about not just the concept of hope, but the unfolding of hope for us and what it means to us in the way in which we live. Mark talked about the Internet and the uh, data highways and how people communicate uh, today. In, Old Test- in New Testament times, of course, they, they communicated by ways... Uh, of letters, and in letters of the of the day, uh, they're somewhat the same as we would write them today if we took time to write them. Uh, they had a uh, an in- introduction of uh, uh, who the letter was addressed to. It it could have today would have been helpful then too. It it contained the date of the writing. Uh, they they usually began with a uh, with a identification of the one to whom the, one or ones to whom the letter was written. Uh, there might be a description of the occasion of the letter and what was in the, uh, the, the purpose of the letter. And then there's the body of the letter, uh, what, what the main messages were to be picked up from uh, in the book. And uh, today, of course, as we read them, we look to apply those messages to our lives uh, in the way in which we live today. Normally, there would be a conclusion of some kind, and it would be signed off with a closing or a benediction uh, by the writer. One of the things I would like you to do as we work through this series is get your pen ready and your thinking hat on. I'd like you to try and figure out and write down what Timothy's consultant report said. We're going to pick up pieces of it as we go through, but I'd like you to put yourself in the chair of Timothy, and as we go through these talks, to write down the report that he brought back when he visited this uh, uh, young and uh, growing church. So just a little exercise for us all as we work through this book together. I'd like us to look at the historical context very briefly from Acts chapter 17, where the church was was founded. And uh, look to our technology to help us. Uh, now we can see. To the Thessalonian Christians and to us. And Acts chapter 17 and chapter 18 is about the founding of that church. Let's read it together. When they had passed through, they being Paul and Silas, through Amphip- Amphipolis and Apollyanna, They came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, 
These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is uh, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. After Paul and Silas left, they just pick up a few other verses in the book of Acts for context and helping us to understand the flow and purposes. When the Jews in verse 13, when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too agitating the crowds and stirring them up against them. Paul was sent to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed there for a time. In chapter 18 and verse 1, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. I'm skipping a lot of history there, uh, but just to pick up the context of where this letter was probably written from. Verse 5, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively, exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So that's a bit of the history of how that church was founded. It was a very brief founding from Paul's perspective, uh, over a couple of weeks perhaps. And yet uh, it's interesting to note the route that was, found, was started there grew up very quickly into a, into a confirmed church and growing. Uh, who wrote the book? We'll just get through some of these things, but there are some lessons for us in them. Uh, it's obviously claimed within the, within the text that Paul uh, wrote the book as the prime writer, and along with him uh, was Silas and Timothy from chapter 1 and verse 1 to the church of the Thessalonians. And then chapter 2 and 18, we can pick up another reference of the authorship and its internal claim. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. So the, uh, the direct claim of the book itself is the Apostle Paul and his uh, traveling uh, missionary companion Silas and Timothy. A second point along this line is that his co-authors align to the Acts narrative, which we just read. When Silas and Timothy, chapter 18 and verse 5, came in brackets to Corinth from Macedonia, uh, Paul devoted his time to preaching the gospel. And so we have an internal um, correlation between the claims of the, the, and the history of the writing of the book and what was going on um, in the history in the book of Acts. Another argument for Paul being the writer is the language of the book is very similar to the words and phrases that uh, Paul uses in other, uh, in, other, uh, in other texts and as well it has the Pauline form of how he would address and start the book and introduce himself and uh, provide the purpose of his writing and so on. It's all uh, very much uh, the Apostle Paul uh, uh, style. In addition, there's a great deal of early, very early uh, corroboration of Paul as the writer of the book. And if you look to the early uh, Christian writers, and in fact even some of the uh, the enemies of the gospel of Christ, they refer to Paul as the author. So there's very strong substantiation uh, that uh, uh, Paul wrote, uh, wrote the book. Uh, the historical context uh, from within the, in the book is also interesting to note. If you turn to chapter 3, and if you have your Bible open, we'll be skipping through the, 
the book a, a, a little bit today as an introduction to it. Chapter 3, verse 1, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it, thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, hence your assignment, our assignment, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Verse 6, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought dot, 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 the letter you are going to, the essay you are going to write over the next several weeks. Acts chapter 18 and 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself. So we have that lineup of what was being said. Uh, this uh, particular book was written from uh, from Corinth. And uh, just a quick, quick geography lesson and I want, for a spiritual point I want to make. Uh, this is this, a map of the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey dated between 49 and 52 A.D. And there's lots of uh, historical logic and corroboration for that time frame. Uh, the the, tra- the travel of the of the group spreading the gospel of Christ through the known uh, world of the time. We uh, just before the chapter we read, Paul was in Philippi, and there's a great deal said about Philippi. Then, as we read through this area, and uh, came to Thessalonica, which is just up in in this. There's an arrow, but the, the, it's up in this area as well. And uh, it's a it's an alive city today called Thessaloniki. Uh, Peg snapped this. Peg and I snapped this picture on one of our on, on our Holy Land tour that we took, and we weren't going there. But when we saw the sign, we said, "We would like to uh, go and see that place as well." But uh, uh, that that's the uh, areas where where this uh, this took place. So we have this history mapped out for us of this part of uh, his missionary journey and the time frame pegged in this general area of 49 to 52. Uh, AD. The point I want to make in all of this is the Apostle Paul was only about 46 years old at the time. If you map out the history of the Apostle Paul, he's a very young man in today's term, maybe not so young in the, in those terms, but it's, it's just fascinating to follow his passion for, uh, the working and serving the Lord after his conversion from being a persecutor of Judaism. Uh, to being one of its main proponents and uh, exp- uh, and uh, missionaries uh, for the gospel of Christ. He'd only been a Christian about 16 years, and I throw that up, out as a bit of a challenge to us. Some of us are getting a little older, and we think, well, what what's the nature of what we have done for the Lord in the 16 years uh, uh, we've been Christians, or 45 years? It's quite a challenge to... Uh, watch uh, the Apostle Paul and his group of missionaries. Uh, we want to emulate and be as passionate as he was for Christ and for the gospel and for his people. Who was the book written to? Uh, we don't know much about the Thessalonian uh, area or uh, or the or the uh, the people there, but uh, uh, that it comes to us from Acts chapter 17, which we've already read about the conversion of the people and a bit of their their makeup. Uh, but we do learn a lot more about them from the from the rest of the book that's to follow. Uh, why was the letter written? We see uh, 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 Paul's concern and his care for the infant church, and the expressions of it in chapter two are, are really notable. He talks about being a father to the people, or as a father would be. He was to them. 
He also talks about being as a mother to them. He was a, uh, he, he was he behaved in that way uh, to to the people of that church when he was there for that brief time. Uh, the purpose of Paul was to uh, con- make sure that care continued for that small church and make sure that things were in place there to make it uh, flourish uh, over time. And he was very concerned, as he says in the book, about wanting to go back and visit them. And he was stopped from doing that. But his passion and his care of the people shines through it all to make sure that uh, they were still heading on the right right uh, paths of growth in the church. Uh, so we know about Timothy's visit uh, as, a pa- as a pastoral visit, as an encouraging visit on behalf of Paul and Silas. And uh, the, his, he returns with a re- uh, report uh, from there that we'll take up in a few moments. Uh, well, right now, part of that, of the letter that you would write, uh, if, or the notes that you would take if you were Timothy, would include uh, this report that they were standing firm in the face of persecution. And that's a message for today, isn't it? Uh, the persecuted church we look at week by week. And what Paul was outlining in his encouragement for them in standing in their faith, not falling back, not being drawn aside by the critics, but standing firm even in the midst of continuing persecution, of which Paul knew a lot great deal. Don't forget, the Apostle Paul was one of the original persecutors as a Jew of the of the Christians who who would leave Judaism and turn to Christ. And he was very active in starting that whole movement of which now he was a recipient of its work. And he he uh, uh, knew about the nature of the persecution and the passion against Christians that were, were flowing their way and was so glad to receive news from Timothy that they were standing firm in spite of that persecution. There are, there are challenges that reported by Timothy which included... Uh, Several people uh, a little bit ignorant of what the future held and and uh, upset about uh, some of the things going on in their lives, specifically some of their loved ones who had died. I'm supposing this a little bit, but it seems that there were some people that reported to Timothy that their loved ones had died, their mother or their father had passed away. So what happens to the to them at the second coming of Christ is kind of the background of this uh, of this uh, thing that is go- uh, these these words that Paul is uh, giving to them in the way of teaching later in the book. What about those who have d- died before the return of Christ? What happens? What happens to them? And that springs the Apostle Paul on a real, uh, probably his most uh, prophetic time about future things in very specific terms of of what will happen and what are the time frames that. Uh, that we will be dealing with in the in the book as well. So the purposes of writing, the uh, he's giving them encouragement despite their continuing persecution. Uh, he's reacting in the uh, to them in the face of criticisms of the way that the church was founded and the and the nature and motivations of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They're obviously uh, hidden in the background is a report to Timothy that there are some critics that are challenging their motives and uh, they were just there for the money and they were uh, they were not uh, really uh, sound uh, apostles for God. And so he says a great deal about the, the those criticisms and defense of their of their missionary work uh, there along all of these uh, dimensions. 
encourages them in their continuing sanctification. And that's the positive part. I think he also heard from Timothy that there were some sliding aside to continue in the ways of paganism. But he was in a very positive way seeking them to understand that they must remain committed to the process of sanctification and the pursuit of holiness in their thinking and in their lives. And so, again, tremendous challenge for us to remember our calling to be in the holy place and to be in the, remind ourselves that we're, we are each and every day, each and every moment in the throne room of God, and he is there to encourage us into a holy living that brings him a glory and spreads the news of his love to others uh, through the way in which we we live. So he exhorts them regarding their moral behaviors and some specifics like laziness. And uh, I'm not pointing at anybody in particular here, knowing that so many of us are retired. <laughs> uh, uh, and then he gives them some instructions, uh, some instruction about this matter that was raised about the death of their loved ones, what Christians can expect uh, in in the way of in the way of the hope that is theirs in Christ and what they can uh, uh, look forward to. And then beyond, after that instruction, there is some further exhortation uh, for Christians is to, in the light of the hope that is yours, how then should we live? And that's where the rubber hits the road for us in, in many ways, that when we, when we confess to have this hope of the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ to initiate the the future events of of the of the coming for uh, coming for his people and uh, going as the trumpet of the Lord's song said to rise in the air and be caught up together with him to meet him uh, meet the Lord in the air and the day of the Lord gets initiated and all of these things that Paul deals with after that he says okay now how should we live in the light of that kind of hope. It's interesting in the book of First Thessalonians that this theme is very much a huge part of what he wants to convey to them. The power of understanding the hope and the promises of God for the future are rooted on, on, on the word of God and his, and, and, and I'm going around in circles here, but in his promises and he wants, really wants them to grasp this notion for Christian living for them and for us today. He does that by talking about this hope in every chapter of the of the Bible of the of the book. And I just outline those so you, we can work through through those as we go. Uh, chapter one and verse ten, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, for anyone who we're not going to do that this morning, but for anyone who wants to map out the time frames, the big picture of what prophecy is like. What Paul says here is of utmost importance to how you map and understand the future events that are coming for the Christians and for the world at large. He, he talks about Jesus as the deliverer from the coming wrath. Now, there's a sense in which that can be just we're going to escape hell. But I think in the context, we see that it has much more, much more specifics, at least the way I understand scripture. He's talking about Jesus is the deliverer for the saints, the Christians, from that wrath which is to come and be poured out upon the earth. In chapter 2 and verse 19, For what is our hope, our, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? The verse in chapter 2. 
Chapter 3, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Again, we have the, the not only the description of this hope, but how it should fill us with joy, fill us with expectation, fill us with preparedness for his coming so that when he does come, we are found not caught off guard like a thief in the night, but caught prepared for his coming and not and watching the signs of his coming and understanding uh, the, the framework in, in and the reason for his expression of this these prophecies to us. Chapter 4 and verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. What a tremendous verse this is and a tremendous section of scripture. He's reassuring in this verse to the to the people who were concerned about the status of their loved ones that they did not have to fear. The dead in Christ will rise first and the all of us then will be gathered together to meet the Lord in the air. The word in the the, the word for that is uh, we talk about the rapture. It's not an English word, it's a Latin word. It meant caught up together, seized out of the current situation and brought to the one the king with with a specific purpose is the kind of word that's used there. And that's what our expectation is all about. That one day, in the twinkling of an eye and the sound of a trumpet, the Lord is going to call his people home to be with him for all eternity. Whether they've died before or whether you're alive at that time is, is very clearly uh, what Paul is teaching and encouraging those people with. And we'll be dealing with all of those, thankfully. Not me, someone else in great detail. Chapter 5 and verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless. How should we then live? Blameless in the process of sanctification, full of joy and expectation and serving him in a way that would bring honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So this is uh, really for the speakers who are to come, (laughs) Uh, a brief outline and a structure of the book that might help us along the way. We have the author's greeting in chapter 1 and verse 1, which we've seen already. Uh, The missionary's ongoing prayer in verses 2 and 3. And I would just like to highlight two things about that that prayer. One is that when you look at what is said there, he's talking about the ongoing praying together of the leadership, the missionaries, for the church that was founded. Isn't that a real real interesting uh, observation that flows from it? They prayed together, concerned that God would continue. They couldn't be there. They couldn't be doing the work. They needed to intervene and intercede with God to to, uh, work with them, with that church, even in their absence. And they prayed together uh, about that matter. And then in chapter 1, verses 3 to 10, we have a description of the church. And this is a, a tremendous thing that uh, Paul gives us about that, about that church and its reputation and its status at so young an age. A couple weeks old, maybe by that time, a couple months old, uh, Paul is describing, uh, on the basis of what Timothy brought, the, uh, the, the, the character of, of the church. One thing that, one phrase that really stood out to me was, he was not only recognizing the fact that they had, they had, their faith had stood the test of this short period of time, but that their faith was known 
in, and he named a couple of areas, if we had the map up, just in that particular area. But then Paul says something that I missed the first couple times through, and everywhere in the world, or not, not exact quote, but known everywhere, was the reputation and understanding that people had of the conversion of these pagan people and Jewish people to the Lord Jesus Christ, their conversion, and how that reputation had spread like wildfire, fire, the high-speed Internet of the time, to deliver that message around the known world. And that's a challenge for us as a church, isn't it? We, we are, how are we known by people in the region, in our community, and at large? We just pray that we would be sincere and devoted to uh, spreading the gospel of Christ throughout our, the way we live our lives and through the way we conduct our corporate passions and, and, and ministries, that we would be known as uh, the lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and having others come uh, to such a knowledge. One of the things in that description was that it was so clear about the basic the very basic and fundamental aspect of coming to Christ. He reported, he observed about their church that they turned from idols. They turned away from idols, turned to the living Christ for salvation. And then they were, they were described as living uh, in the hope and the promises uh, that, that knowing Christ brings in their lives. Paul commended them with his beautiful, these beautiful three things of faith, love, and hope as part of the description of that church. Not, not just the faith. Yeah, we come because we believe these things intellectual, intellectually. But they had personal faith in Christ. And they knew of his love for them. And they're, even at this early phase in their maturity as a church, they were demonstrating the love of Christ in such a way that the world knew that this was a true conversion to a, to a new thing and that they were faithful to it. And then uh, their hope that inspired them and moved them to uh, live uh, for him. Uh, we're out of time, but I just want to highlight the rest of the outline. Sanctified living, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. And Paul describes, and this is really part of the puzzle of figuring out what Timothy reported to them. Now he is responding to those things and helping them along the way on a number of dimensions that we'll uh, deal with later on. And then this uh, whole chapter of uh, uh, that starts off with about yours who have died. We've touched on that already from chapter 4.13 to 5.10. How should we then live? And a closing encouragement. I've highlighted some of these themes for us today, and I won't repeat them all. They're up on the on the on the screen. As we go through this, we want to make sure we're just not having this this historical study of an old church, but to learn what the message is from God that He has for us in our lives today, and to listen to the Spirit of God as He would uh, help us to be the kind of leaders that the missionaries were. Uh, with teamwork, prayer, care, and concern for the body of Christ, that we would be that our lives would be safely uh, built on the foundations of, of of the Christian faith, election and salvation, integrity, 
sanctified living and sharing our faith are the things that flow through this particular book. And that we would therefore be equipped for afflictions that may come from within or from without. And that we would live in the light of the Christian hope that is ours because we are saved by the deliverer of the wrath to come. And also because we are saved by the one who wants a people for himself for now and for eternity. In closing, I'd just like to, we read the first verses, I'd like to read the last verses of, of, the, of the book to the Thessalonians and to us. And may this be our uh, preparation as we study this book together. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this verse. The one who calls you is faithful and he will, and he will do it. I'm just going to ask Wally if he would come and close our meeting in prayer. Father, we've been given a true gift in this letter that Paul has written to the Thessalonians. I don't think Paul knew, Lord Father, that uh, thousands of years later that people around the world would be reading this. Perhaps you knew. Perhaps you told them it would be so. But Lord Father, there's such powerful words, words of encouragement, words of warning, words of hope, words to the church, Lord Father, because you are so concerned for your church, the body of Christ. Lord Father, you care for the little things, you care for the big things, and your letters to the church, Lord Father, through the apostles and the people you have chosen, Lord Father, are just beautiful spiritual guidelines for us, Lord Father, that we may be Christ-like, that we may walk in his footsteps, that no matter the persecution that comes from without or from within, the persecution from the evil one, the fear of death, Lord Father, you give us hope, an eternal hope, that we shall never fear, for you are on the throne Jesus is on the throne. And Lord Father, he is coming again to gather those back to him who believe in him, who love him, who serve him, and who worship him in reverence and awe. Father, again, we cannot tell you enough how much we love you, for you loved us first. May we take these words with us, Lord Father, into our day-to-day living. May we live in the kingdom of God that your Son has brought. In the name of Jesus, amen.